I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us together this morning um, to honor and worship Him as we sing out to Him. Um, We are thankful for the musicians today. (laughs) And uh, may God continue to give them more strength to serve us this way. Um, We've been going through Mark, and uh, for the past, is it three weeks now? For the past three weeks, we've been um, going through Mark, and and, and we've been doing a series called uh, Seeing the Son of God. This morning, we are in chapter 1, verse 21, um, up until the last verse, verse 21 up until verse 29, and uh, the title of today's sermon is, I Stand Amazed. I Stand Amazed. Let me take this time to uh, welcome our visitors. Uh, may God uh, bless you and uh, um, get to know them as the church after church. Um, I Stand Amazed. I stand amazed. Let us take this time and bring it to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, our wonderful Lord, we pray that as we draw near to you, that as we see Christ clearer in the Word, that we will be struck with awe, with amazement of your majesty, of who Christ truly is. Oftentimes we misunderstand him, even as the people in this passage that we're about to read do misunderstand him. They get excited about things that um, are just temporary. Lord, may we uh, come to truly grasp that the real meaning of being a Christian, the real meaning of following Christ, the real meaning of seeing Christ. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought as we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you a question. What gets you excited? What gets you excited? You can tell when someone is excited about something, right? Especially in the way they talk. Their eyes brighten up. They, they come alive as they speak about their favorite subject. They start using demonstrative body language. They don't always talk like this, right? But some things are so amazing that they have to share it. For some, it's sports, right? You hear it in their voice, how they get excited about their favorite team, how it is dominating the league. I don't know, um, you know if we have menu uh, fans in here or, or we have those who do not like menu. You, you, you will see it in their faces, right? So for some, it's a particular TV show. The way they retell their favorite show they, they retell it in such a way that you start imagining it yourself. You, you start picturing it in your mind. Uh, personally, I get excited about books. I've always loved books since I was a child. I love talking about how 
um, I read something in a book that has impacted me, that has made me think deep about something or, or made me laugh. If you are to spend enough time with me, I'll probably give you a book, tell you about a book that I'm reading, or try to convince you to buy a particular book. You see, when we get excited about something, we, we, we love to tell people about it. And if enough people spread the news to enough people, anything can become famous, right? So what gets you excited? What do you tell people about? There's nothing wrong with getting excited about the things that I've mentioned. And there's nothing wrong with enthusiastically telling people about them as well. But I have a hard question for us to consider this morning. Do you get excited about the gospel? Do you light up in amazement when you think about the death and resurrection of Christ? And are you itching to tell people this good news? To, to, to spread the fame of Jesus to everyone you know? In our text this morning, we encounter a number of people who are amazed by Jesus. And they want to tell others about him. But, but they are only amazed by his miracles alone. His healing and casting out of demons. Jesus is fine with people being amazed about him healing their immediate and temporal needs. But he also wants them to hold off, as, you will, as we will read this passage, he wants them to hold off spreading the news about him until they come to understand the main reason he came. And that is to suffer and die for our sins. The main reason to be amazed about Jesus. Turn your Bibles, as I said, to Mark chapter 1. For the last three weeks we've been in the Gospel of Mark, we've been considering two main questions. Who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. As Jesus begins his ministry, he begins preaching and teaching. But his teaching is accompanied by miracles here. Jesus wants to teach people who he is. But we learn who Jesus is best in the context of what he does. And we learn how to respond to him best by examining how others in the Gospels respond to him, um, to, to his words and to his deeds. So let us look at Mark chapter 1, 21 to 45, as we continue to examine who Jesus is and how we should respond to him. I read from the ESV, follow me as I read God's word. This is God's word, let us hear him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he, he, he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So, so that they, they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? And you teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. 
And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Uh, and, and, and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling before him, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Our text this morning has a number of different stories in it, as you might have um, heard as we, we read or read following me. And there are a number of common elements in all these stories. Have you noticed? First, in each of these stories, we see Jesus taking care of people's problems, whether it's exercising, removing a demon, or healing sickness. Secondly, we, we also see that in every case, people are amazed by Jesus, and they want to tell others. But Jesus commands them to be quiet about his ministry. What I could do is I could walk you through each of these stories individually. But instead of doing a verse by verse here, I want to point out three truths that are taught here. I think this will help us see more clearly who Jesus is and how we should respond to him by looking at these stories collectively. So to divide our time this morning, I want to ask three questions. So these three questions will um, give us the structure of today's sermon. First of all, what do all these healings and exorcisms teach us about Jesus? By the way, exorcism is, is a term that means to cast out or to remove a demon. Secondly, what does the specific story of Jesus healing the leper teach us about Jesus? Thirdly, What is the significance of silence in these stories? Why is Jesus telling these people to be silent? Or why does Jesus command people to be quiet? And how does that inform our response to Jesus? It seems that it's counterintuitive, right? It's it's, it's like it's, it's, it's against 
um, you know, the progress and the flow of his ministry. First of all, let's answer the first question. What do all the healings and exorcism teach us about Jesus? Well, here's the thing. They teach us that Jesus has authority. They teach us that Jesus has authority. Remember how Jesus' ministry begins, right? In verses 14 to 15. Uh, Mark tells us now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, Jesus' ministry starts with preaching the gospel. He's telling people who he is and why he came. He is the Christ, right? The son of the living God. And his coming marks the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus, in other words, is the king. Jesus has authority. But Jesus doesn't just preach and tell people that he's king. We also learn who he is through what he does. We see that he has authority through teaching, through casting out of demons, through healing. His teaching shows us that he has authority with the scriptures. Right? Look at verse 21 and 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. Look at their response. They were astonished at his teaching, for they, he, he taught them as one who has authority and not as the scribes. But while he's teaching, a man in the midst of the teaching with an unclean spirit comes in. The unclean spirit knows exactly who Jesus is. Look at verse 24. The, the, the demon says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? First of all, notice that Jesus Christ did not preach a tent to do a, 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 a deliverance ministry here. Right? He did not go out to do a deliverance ministry. The demon comes to him. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But it's not just words that demonstrate that he's the authoritative king. Jesus shows us that he has the authority when he casts out the demon. He shows us that he has authority over Satan and his demons. When he says to the demon, be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit comes out in verse 25 to verse 26. And that's authority, isn't it? It's authority. Look at verse 27. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He comes, he commands, even the unclean spirits. And what happens? They obey him. We also see Jesus' authority through his healing ministry here. Jesus has authority over sickness. When Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever, Jesus takes her by the hand and she's healed. He then goes on to heal many in Capernaum in verse 34. But when, 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 and when says to the, he says to the leper, be clean again, immediately the leprosy leaves him. And we'll, check, we'll see that in detail. And he was made clean in verse 41 and verse 42. So it's not only through Jesus' words or through the words of demons that we know that Jesus is the king. His actions also show it, right? His actions show that he has authority through his teaching, 
of the scriptures, authority over Satan and his demons, and authority over sickness. But there's more to Jesus than his authority. Most people have authority, who have authority lorded over people, right? That's what Jesus Christ says in chapter 10, verse 42. They, 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 they want to control other people. But that's not the way Jesus, King Jesus acts here. Jesus has authority, but he didn't come to lord, it, to lord his authority over people. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that brings us to our second question. What does the specific story of Jesus healing the leper teach us about Jesus? It teaches us that Jesus has compassion. Jesus has compassion. We saw his authority, right? Now we see that he has compassion. The story of Jesus healing the leper certainly highlights his authority over sickness. But it shows us that there's more to Jesus than his authority. You see, leprosy is a skin disease. But in the first century, leprosy brought with it much more than physical pain. Those with leprosy would have been social outcasts. Leprosy was thought to be a curse of God and, and very contagious. It was highly contagious. So people with leprosy were banished from their communities and their families. They had to live alone outside of the community. When you look at Leviticus 13, verse 45 and 46, a leper had to make a concerted effort to stay away from people. They couldn't come within a stone's throw of a person. In fact, if they did come within a stone's throw, people would sometimes throw stones at them. If a leper came into contact with a regular person, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean, so that people knew and stayed away from them. Kind of like the, 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 the COVID-19, right? They, they had to isolate themselves. When they came into contact with people and they find out that they have COVID-19, they had to contact all those people as well. But in our story, Jesus and the leper breaks all the rules. Look at verse 40. Instead of staying away from Jesus and shouting, unclean, the leper comes right up to Jesus and kneels down in front of him and says, if you will, you can make me clean. That was really bold, don't you think? The leper knows Jesus has the authority and the ability to make him clean. You can make me clean. But he questions, listen to this, he questions Jesus' willingness to make him clean. In verse 41, we are told that Jesus was moved with pity or compassion. Jesus not only has the authority to heal this man, notice this, he also has the heart to heal him. And he shows his heart by what he does next. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. He, he didn't have to touch him, by the way. Right? He didn't have to. He, he could have simply spoken a word. And, and, and if you, you read the Gospels uh, enough, you will notice that Jesus could speak a word and someone who's far would be well. Right? He didn't have to touch him. But Jesus understood that this man needed healing from more than 
his medical condition. This man had much deeper wounds. And so he touched him. Jesus saw beneath the immediate physical need to the real pain in this man's life. And so he touched him. We, we don't have a lot of exposure to leprosy in South Africa, do we? So for most of us, I think it's hard to understand the depth of compassion Jesus shows this man. So to illustrate what's going on here with Jesus and the leper, I want to read a story from uh, Gary Smalley and John Trent's book. Uh, the book is called The Blessing. By the way, it's another a book that I'm recommending to you. It's called The Blessing by uh, Gary Smalley and John Trent. They tell a story of a young lady called Dorothy. Dorothy's life was changed by her college uh, speech professor. He, he didn't change her life through his knowledge of public speaking or his stirring lectures. No, he simply stretched out his hand and touched Dorothy. This is um, the story. On the first day of class, this teacher went around the room and asked each student to introduce themselves. Each student was to respond to the questions, what do I like about myself and what don't I like about myself? So it was an icebreaker kind of thing. Nearly hiding at the back of the room was Dorothy. Her long red hair hung down around her face, almost obscuring it from view. When it was Dorothy's turn to introduce herself, there was only silence in the room. Thinking perhaps she had not heard the question, the teacher moved his chair over near hers and gently repeated the question. Again, there was only silence. Finally, with a deep sigh, Dorothy sat up in her chair, pulled her hair back, and in the process revealed her face. Covering nearly all of, all of one side of her face was a large irregular-shaped birthmark, nearly as red as her hair. That, she said, should show you what I don't like about myself. Moved with compassion, this godly professor did something he'd never done before in, class, in the classroom. Prompted by God's spirit, he leaned over and gave her a hug. Then he kissed her on her cheek where the birthmark was and said, that's okay, honey. God and I still think you are beautiful. Dorothy cried uncontrollably for almost 20 minutes. Soon after the students had gathered around her and were offering their, com their comfort as well, when she finally could talk, dabbing her tears from her eyes, she said to the professor, I've wanted so much for someone to hug me and say what you said. Why couldn't my parents do that? My mother won't even touch my face. Dorothy, just like the leper in Jesus' time, had, an inner, had, a, had a layer of inner pain trapped beneath the outward scars. This one act of meaningful touching began to heal years of heartache and loneliness for Dorothy and opened the door that drew her near to the Savior. Jesus had authority to heal the leper, but he also had the heart to heal the leper. He saw beneath the physical pain and touched the most tender spot. If we are going to understand who Jesus is, we need to understand that he is powerful. He's the king. He has authority, but he's also full 
of compassion. He's full of compassion. Jesus is not only Lord of the world, he also loves the world. Sometimes, as people thinking about what we probably have done, we ask ourselves, can he love me as well? The answer is yes. A big yes. Jesus is not only Lord, but he has compassion. Let's look now at our last question. What is the significance of the silence in these stories? This, this has always been a strange thing for me. Why, why did Jesus say, keep quiet? You know, don't tell anybody about this. Or, or why does Jesus command people to be quiet? And how does that inform our response to Jesus? Um, let me make a confession. Whenever I'm studying uh, for a sermon... I have two thoughts. The first thought, goodness, why did I choose Mark? Because it's one of the hardest books that I've, I think I've ever preached. Secondly, I find it spiritually nourishing and answering a lot of questions that I had. So this is one of the questions. In each of the stories, we see that Jesus is becoming increasingly famous, right? Look at verse 22. As he teaches, people are astonished. Verse 27, when he casts out the demons, people are amazed. Verse 28, his fame spreads everywhere throughout Galilee. Verse 33, when he's at Simon, uh, Simon's mother-in-law, the whole city was gathered at the door. Verse 37, when he retreats to a desolate place to pray, everyone is looking for him. Verse 45, when he heals the leper, the leper talks freely about it and, and the news spread everywhere. Verse 45, in fact, Jesus became so famous that he could no longer openly enter a town. He had to minister out in a desolate place. But Jesus continues to tell people to be quiet. Verse 25, he tells the demon to be silent. Verse 34, he would not permit them to speak because they knew who he was. Verse 44, when he heals the leper, he says to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Why does Jesus want to keep his ministry secret? I think there's a reasonable explanation here. He doesn't want people to misunderstand him. Jesus doesn't want people getting too excited about who he is and what he's doing until they fully understand the scope of who he is and what he came to do. And so he told people to keep his miracles on the down low. That the miracles he was doing would have identified him as the Messiah, the Christ. But many people during that time didn't understand what the Messiah would come to do. They thought that the Messiah would be a military leader who would deliver them from the opposition of Rome. Jesus didn't want that kind of attention. That's why it's so important in this early stage of his ministry to do a lot of teaching and preaching. By the way, I've also heard something um, from another scholar who says that Africa is over-evangelized but under-taught. The problem is that we have so many people saying, I am a Christian, 
but understanding none of it. Understanding none of what it means to be a Christian. We have so many people who are willingly, uh, you know, uh, just listening to anything that, that says that's why you find even today uh, people who call themselves Christians are swept by the false teachings of people like Joshua Maponga. Because they are not grounded in their faith. When, when someone who sounds smart comes, they listen and they think this is it. And they are swept away by false teaching. Africa is over-evangelized, but under-taught. What we need most is to be taught the doctrine of Scripture, the doctrine of Christ, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is. We need to be taught these things. One of the things that Christians are afraid of in evangelism is what if they ask me questions? Obviously, they're going to ask you questions. That is an indication that you must be studious. You must read your Bible. That's not an excuse of saying, what if they ask me questions? Jesus starts to teach and preach. It's not enough to know who Jesus is that Jesus is the Christ. It's not enough. It's not enough to know that he is the son of God. They need to understand what that means. They need to see truly the son of God. So Jesus also had to teach his disciples that in, in, in chapter 8, verse 31, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after, these, uh, and after three days, rise again. Why does Jesus command People to silence. Here's the reason. We must be amazed at the cross. We, we must not only be amazed by the authority of Jesus. We must, not also, we must also be amazed by the love and compassion of Jesus. And, and that is seen most clearly at the cross. Right? If you want to see the love of God, look at the cross. If you want to see the compassion of God, look at the cross. In verse 35 to verse 39, we see Jesus alone in a desolate place praying. He's aligning his ministry with the will of the Father. And as we'll see later in Mark, the Father's will for Jesus' ministry was for him to go to the cross. But while Jesus is praying, his disciples come and say, everyone is looking for you. In other words, everyone wants you to continue healing and casting out demons. Jesus reminds them that, this, that his main mission at this stage, was to preach. He came to preach. He needed to preach and teach because he didn't want people to misunderstand who he was and what he came to accomplish. He needed people to understand that his ultimate mission and the, and the will of, the, of his father was to suffer and die and be raised from the dead. He wanted people to understand that he came and he, he, he had more than authority. He, he also has compassion. He's more, he has more than power. He also has love. And he showed his love and power most emphatically through the, his death and resurrection. Anybody can get excited about a Messiah who takes care of their immediate and temporal needs, can they? 
healing diseases, casting out demons, overthrowing oppressive governments. But are you excited about the humble servant who had to suffer and die? Jesus doesn't want people amazed by the wrong thing. And Jesus doesn't want people spreading news about him until they understand the main reason about him. So you hear a lot of times people preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, quote unquote, uh, and they say uh, the gospel is about Jesus healing you. Jesus giving you a job. That's why when you ask people how they came to Christ, they say, oh, I didn't have a job, and then a pastor prayed for me, I got a job, and now I'm saved. Oh, I was sick, and a pastor prayed for me, and now I'm well, I'm saved. We, we need to understand, truly understand, what it means to be saved. Our faith in Jesus must not be based only on his displays of authority. It must also be based on his display of compassion. Sure, people will come to Jesus if he'll take care of their immediate needs, right? But if, will they come to him when they see his, his humility? Will they come to him when they see his suffering? Will they follow him when he calls them to humble suffering? Will they follow him when he calls them to proclaim the gospel of a suffering savior? Hmm? Until Jesus goes to the cross, we don't actually know who Jesus is and what he came to do. Until Jesus goes to the cross, it's premature to get excited and start spreading the news about Jesus. As, as one commentator says, only on the cross can Jesus rightly be known for who he is. Jesus without the cross is not the Jesus that can save. The cross is central to understanding who Jesus is. In Mark 15, at the foot of the cross, the centurion declares, 1539, surely this was the son of God. And we'll see that in a, in a year's time or in a few months' time, depending on how the, 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 the letter, the, 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 the book pans out, right? And this confession comes to the end of the book of Mark for a reason is the most fully informed confession. And it's only at the cross that he came truly to say, we, we, we can truly say Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why Jesus wants people to be silent until he goes to the cross. He wants them to wait for the most amazing event that happened in human history. What did, what did Jesus command his, his, his disciples after he rose again from the dead? This time he said what? Go and make disciples. Because the central point of the redemption of humanity had already been fulfilled. Now, he says to them, be silent. Why do you get, what do you get excited about? Are you amazed by Jesus? And does that amazement cause you to tell others about Jesus? What is it about Jesus that amazes you? What is it about Jesus that amazes you? When you talk to others about Jesus, what do you usually talk about? 
Are you excited about what he came to do to take care of your immediate and temporal needs? The fact that you have a bed, your food. Are you excited about these things? The fact that you're healthy? Is, are, are these things the only things that make you excited? What about when they are taken away from you? He's able, yes. More than able to accomplish what concerns us today. But that's not the main reason he came, is he? We are sinners in need of a savior. He came to deal with our sin. And he wants us to come to him for forgiveness of sin. Yes, he deals with sickness and Satan. But those things are meaningless if we remain in our sins. If we are going to rightly respond to the gospel, we need to get this point. If we are going to rightly share the gospel, we need to understand this point. We should get excited about Jesus and we should tell people about Jesus. But the thing that should amaze us more than anything else is the cross. What gets you excited? I pray that the words of the old hymn will be true of us as a church. This is what it says. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be, oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, you are wonderful. You are marvelous. You are amazing. We are people that are strangely awed by things that are temporal, amazed by things that are fleeting and passing by. Teach our hearts, O Lord, to be amazed by what should amaze us, to be amazed by your grace that saved wretches like us, that opened the eyes of blind people like us, found lost sinners like us, Help us, O Lord, to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.